Let's just, let's just go ahead and record this. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be talking for two hours. We don't exactly, have exactly, man. That was the last time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just saying, man. Like we're just saying, like you know, a lot of people walk around. We're talking about how people interpret, like even some of these books, like the Bible and the Quran, and you know, basically these people just were saying things with their own interpretation then you'll actually have someone that'll stand up and read you word for word a scripture and then sit there and tell you all right so here's what we get from that no what do you mean we that's what you're given but the problem is people hear that instead of reading it for themselves what they end up doing is like okay now if they've heard this priest or whoever say these things they run with it and then they go and return they go regurgitate it some other way and then it's been diluted so you do that for the next i don't know one two three millennia. <laughs> so, you know, the story is you, you think that game of what is that? You know, that game they used to have like um, <clears throat> telephone when we were in elementary school, yeah, yeah, you yeah. think that's messed up just with 10 kids in one setting. Imagine over 2000 years worth of people playing telephone with a message and how diluted it's going to be by that time. And like I said, most people will let people just say things without checking them on it. I mean, and then from there, they'll just repeat what they say. Like I said, people will just walk in clickbait. They'll just say random things without backing it up. And then there's really no one wants to stand up and question like, okay, where did you get that from? Where are the, what are the facts? Where'd you get that from? And nobody does that now because everybody's lazy. Even people, people are so la- gotten so lazy. They're too lazy to even <clears throat> listen. <laughs> they're, very, they're very passive. even just listen to someone. They'll just hear them say dumb shit. And he's like, uh, <laughs> and it'll just take it. Like, well, I think people people are addicted to consuming information. It reminds me of when Christian Thibodeau would come on the show and he would drop so much knowledge. He would be on for two hours. I would have to go back and re-listen to it because he would make so many good points, so many things that you could apply. And then sometimes listeners would go, man, that was an awesome episode. Can't wait for the next time he comes on. I go, the next time? I go, it's going to take what me about two this time? To apply. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take me two years to apply everything that he just mentioned on this episode. But it's almost as if people are more addicted to knowing stuff than actually applying it. Because knowing it, you can repeat it, and then you sound knowledgeable too. Well, and it goes back to what happens. And also the new, the new thing, the new way to be a celebrity now is to be someone that has experienced trauma. If you've been through serious oh, trauma, this, get on this right now, we're in the era of trauma bonding. Like right. this is what somebody, people want to talk about, you know, all we need is world peace. No, all we need is trauma. You want to bring everybody together, <laughs> have some type of trauma in your life. That'll bring everyone together. And you know, when honestly, after the last pre- previous two years of everything that everybody went through globally, oh man, everybody's really bonded. Now, the last thing you need to do is have people go through trauma alone in their homes. Then once you set them free and they get out, Oh man, let the bonding begin. They'll find ways to bond or whatever because they, first of all, they're tired of being alone. <laughs> but now they feel like, Oh, wait a minute. You're miserable. Oh, you had that happen to you. So did I. What am, Oh man, me too. Now I'll tell you who they're not bonding with people who are really out there getting shit done, who are doing things. Those people are fucking annoying to these people. <laughs> Anyone that's out there minding their business, doing their own thing. You're an anomaly. It's like those people that get annoyed when you go to a party, or whatever, and or they're hanging out and they offer you a drink, you know, and you're that person that says, I don't drink. Wait, you don't drink? <laughs> Serious? Like, they're, they're like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Why would you not drink? Why would you not consume shit? <laughs> I mean, look, man, I have no problem with people that smoke weed, but it's, it's amazing, especially when I had locks. How many people got annoyed that a dude with locks oh, sure. who didn't smoke weed? He's like, dude, you serious? You don't smoke any weed? Not at all? <laughs> Not in a little bit? Like, dude, no, I don't. But how many you know, times do you have to say no exactly but do you you know yeah, enjoy you it. i'm not telling you i'm not judging you i'm not sort of saying put that joint out go ahead and smoke i don't care 
Just, I don't want any. Okay, it's just me for my own reasons. And that's the thing. They don't even go as far as even ask you, like, you know, what's the reason? They just say, for real? Oh, man, that's wild. <laughs> really? Is it? <laughs> so, but um, when you get then back to what you say about the consumerism, and that's another thing. It's just like we're in such a consumer type of, I was just listening to someone talking about this. We are such consumers of everything, whether it's information, whether it's just of entertainment, with distractions, whatever. It's just like, oh my God, we just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. So it's it's amazing that um, how being a minimalist can apply to not just buying things, but just just watching things, talking about things, being around certain people, being around a certain a certain group of people that are like all together and become a tribe over this, like you said, this trauma or something like that, just really reducing just the stuff, man. And like, well, here, here's the, here's the real problem. It's, and it goes, it goes, it goes beyond trauma. See trauma. No one would talk about trauma if they didn't get any attention for it. So if you brought up some hardship story and nobody cared, then you would move on. But the thing is, whatever gets you attention, you're going to be encouraged to keep going down that path. So if you talk about some trauma and all of a sudden everyone's paying attention and people go, oh, we want you to speak here. I'll come on my podcast. And then you realize that the more trauma you talk about, the more focus you're getting. Now you're encouraged to embellish these stories a little oh, yeah. bit. You got to take it up a notch because you're like, OK, I've been on 12 shows talking about this now. I want right. to at least be on 12 more. So I know I got to kind of take this up a notch in order to be you know because otherwise these people have already heard this story let me just say here's some everybody all of a sudden starts adding deleted scenes to their movie right. <laughs> you know to my, here are the extras if you for the blu-ray version of my lives you know <laughs> you go. reminds me of this episode of i don't know if you remember this episode of different strokes where they got robbed and then the police officer came and he interviewed each oh, person. Oh, yeah. And everybody, they showed everybody's perspective <laughs> throughout the episode. Yeah. That everyone, <laughs> everybody was the hero. Everybody was the hero. Everybody was, yeah, the, yeah, hero. Exactly. <laughs> was the hero of the story. And by the end of the episode, the police officer was going, you know what? Forget it. I've got nothing here. So he just left. <laughs> yeah, he did something similar on Martin. <laughs> Same thing happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it's 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 funny because someone may start off with good intentions. They may have They may start off with good intentions. They want to get eyes on an issue that's important to them. And then all of a sudden they become a celebrity for doing that. Right. And now they have to up and now they're getting bad advice from people too. So they're, they're getting a book published and the publisher's going, Hey, why don't we take this story up a little bit here? Let's embellish this a little bit. Well, actually they, they can tell the story. They can tell their story truthfully, but by the time it gets to a publishing company, it's almost like a record label. It's like, look, man, you, when you're independent, you can put the stuff out that you want to put out. But once that label gets it, like, nah, we're taking this off and this off. You've done 100 songs, and they picked, like, six of the worst songs that you've made. <laughs> and they said, these are the ones that are going to be hits because now you've given them control. So the same thing happens a lot of times with authors when they're writing, when they're writing books. Because once it goes to that editor and goes to the publishing company, all of a sudden they know what sells and they know what the market wants. You know, well, here's it. You came to me, meaning the market wanted my story. I gave you my story. Yeah, but I think we should change these things and do this too. And the same thing happens like with people writing scripts as well, you know, and that's what happens when you know. Sometimes sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes when a director has too much creative liberties, they make garbage. So they need that input, that editing. Other times it works against you. I mean, Dave Goggins, when he came out with his first book, he took it to a published it. He took his story to a publishing company and they wanted to run with it. And they were going to pay him a couple hundred thousand bucks, which was really good money for him at that time. But they wanted to change the way the whole story would unfold. They go, no, nah, we don't want to hear about your childhood. Just talk about this. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell the story completely my way or we're not going to do it at all. 
So they're like, fuck off. And then he self-published it, sold a ton, so that when he wrote his second book, not only did he get a ton of money, but they they left him alone. They said, just write whatever you want, because the, the, the way you tell your story is what's going to sell. We don't know better how to tell your story than you do. Well, yeah, yeah. get back to what you said about, like, you know, some of those directors, you know, kind of, you know, need to have somebody step in, you know, instead of just having liberty and going off. But you know what? Here's the thing. The one way you can curb that is the fact is, when it's you, when you're paying for it yourself, you will fix it. You will self-correct it. So That's they good. need that. I actually, I, you know, I actually feel like they, they need to go through that. If they, they write something and do too much and it's too long and too boring or whatever else, or it kind of goes off script and it's, it's all over the place and there's no central, you know, topic or whatever. And you start losing the audience. Let them, let them lose that money. Let them have people criticize it, not show up, not watch it or whatever else. Because guess what? One of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to say, this is not for me. I'm not good at it. Or they will pivot and self-correct. They're like, okay, what did I do wrong? Because that co- that mistake cost me a lot of money. And I don't want to do that again. But I still want to do this. I still want to make movies. But I don't want to go down that route again. So and guess what they'll probably most likely do? They'll probably pay attention now to the people. And not necessarily try to put out something they want. But also, not necessarily also focus on just putting out something that the people want, but find that compromise. Because that's a lot of times it goes one one way or the other in the wrong direction. Where it's like, I'm going to create what I want. I'm making this just like an artist. I'm a musician. I'm going to make the kind of music I want to hear. And next thing you know, there's one person out in the audience and it's his sister or his mom. You know, because nobody wants to hear that. Or you just want to make stuff that, you know, the general masses, want, you know, well, this is what's hot. This is what people are buying. But you're up to, you're on the stage dying inside. You know, and guess what? Even though the audience may be enjoying that music that they think that they want, they can sit there and read your energy, man. All of a sudden they start, they're like, oh, this guy's not into it. So then it backfires on you. So you kind of have to kind of find that sweet spot when it comes down to all this. But like I said, the, one of the best ways to do it, like I said, is when it is coming out of your pocket, because then you will zoom in you will focus and see hey this is not working this is what's working let's try this okay let's not do that again or whatever else and not leave it in the hands of somebody else who has no idea what it is to be you and to be and to create the things that you like and that's the thing about it so that's that's how i see it and then getting back to this garnering attention if you look at the Instagram algorithm, for example, negativity is what sells there. So what does that encourage people to do? It encourages people to be very negative because you're going to get way more views. It encourages people to be very ostentatious. I mean, I've proven this myself. I go, my most viewed clip on Instagram has nothing to do with fitness or hormone optimization. It has to do with me making a facetious post about why no one cares about gender reveal parties, right? Now, people, this, this, it was, it was funny because when you saw that post, you click, you in the comment section, you oh, put you know, I brought the popcorn. popcorn. I was like, I'm just here for the comments. <laughs> I, I do this stuff as a social experiment from time to time, but also just to have fun. I go, this is going to be fun because I know it's going to be really polarized. Let me tell you folks, if you see me in the comments with that popcorn emoji, <laughs> Just just disengage. Don't don't even try to like sit there and defend whatever Mike's talking about. <laughs> because you're being set up. <laughs> we're we're gonna clown you. It's like it's not that serious. Oh, but here's yeah, exactly. Here's the thing. And, and I don't care about gender reveal parties. I, I just thought it was a funny post to put up going, no one cares. I mean, I don't care about it. I don't care, but but at the same time, I'm not gonna go on someone's page and tell them, hey, why are you why are you filming this and putting up a clip? They can do whatever they want on their page just as I can do whatever I want on my page. So if I want to make fun of stuff, 
I can do that. But if, but a lot of people have a stick up their ass, so they have no sense of humor anymore, and they get all butt hurt over the silliest things. It's funny that I people will defend some the of the point. most defenseless things. Like, really, this is what's so important that you got to stand up for gender yeah. reveal parties, but, but you got children out here being trafficked, and you you have yeah, exactly. silent. I'm That's like, my whole point too. I I'm like, shut the fuck up, man. I put up a post <laughs> about about human trafficking. You get nothing in the comments, or you get one person <laughs> saying. Oh man, thanks for posting this. I'm going to go check out Project Child Save, but it, it certainly doesn't go viral, and, it, and it's certainly not littered with comments of people talking about this. But it becomes something so inconsequential that who cares? Who cares what I? Who cares if I think gender reveal parties are stupid? If you, if you like doing it, then go do it. It's it's, it's like this. In the other post that I get, <laughs> where I do the other the other post that I get on Instagram, where I get a ton of views, or when I talk about terrible music with terrible lyrics. And a lot of times people laugh at this, they find it funny. But then there's sometimes there are people that are actually a fan of the song that I'm making fun of, and then they feel the need to defend that they're a fan of it. Who cares? I'm like, I mean, like, you got royalties on the song? It's like, <laughs> yeah. If someone ripped on one of my favorite songs on their page, I and could, I, can't I couldn't it, care less. I'm like, well, yeah. I would probably laugh. I would probably think it's funny. I'd be like, okay, this is kind of funny. But I certainly wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't feel the need to defend myself on their page in their comment section. Yeah. That's always hilarious to me. Or when these people step up and they, they got to defend an artist, like, oh, the beehive. Oh, don't talk about Beyonce. Why? <laughs> is, is it your sister? Is that your mother? Is that like your daughter? What does it matter to you? Is anyone's talking about her? Like, oh, I don't think she can sing. What is? Oh, hell no. Ah, oh, I'm, 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 I'm unfollowing. Bye. <laughs> Deuce. Holla. Like, don't announce when you're leaving. Just leave. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Just leave. I'm unfollowing now. Okay. Well, I'm, well, <laughs> uh, I'm done. Okay. I just can't believe that you would say something like, why are you still here talking? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> so I got well, people in social media. It makes you feel important too, as we all know, and have discussed a million times. <laughs> Complaining makes you feel important. Being offended yeah. makes you feel important. Having trauma and talking about it makes you feel important. And these are all slippery slopes. Because but you know what's funny? The, the, where are these folks doing the things that's actually that would make them be important, like getting out there and actually contributing something positive to the world? And and I know someone's probably like, well, how do you know they're not? Well, because they're on social media complaining about other shit and being offended. If you're out there doing something and making something positive in this world and doing something, man, you don't have time to sit there and go on someone else's page in their comments and talk about, well, it seems like if anybody's bothered by it, it must be you. You're the one that's making a video about it, Mike. <laughs> I'm like, really? That's a, did a grown ass man just really come like that? Well, obviously, you must give a shit about your gender reveal party. You made a video about it. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got, like, it was great. I kept going back and forth with it because it, the, more, the more I went back and forth with him, the more views I'm getting. So. Yeah. <laughs> I even told him, like, keep talking, man. Keep posting your negativity. Yeah, just keep going. I'm like, stop. <laughs> IG algorithm. I'm like, dude, stop. I'm running out of popcorn. Hold on. I got, <laughs> I got another batch. <laughs> No, but it just it's just these social experiments are so telling because I'll put up really good content about something that's important. You get barely anything about that. And then you put up something just silly where I'm blatantly trying to be silly. I mean, I put up one about uh, what was it? Uh, let me look at my page real quick. I put up one right before the gender reveal that was also in the same vein. And I think that one got even more views. But it just shows you how moronic these systems are. And what people pay attention to, what well, people, pay and attention. like you said, the algorithm knows. I mean, that's the reason why TikTok is as big as it is. American TikTok is so dumb. 
<laughs> it's like if I see one more person doing these stupid ass dances, these TikTok dances, I'm like, what? <laughs> everybody looks like they're epileptic. Okay, first of all, I'm just like, what is wrong? What are you doing? What is that? And what where do these dances come from? And why is it that they're universal? That no matter what gender you are, what race you are, they're all doing the same dance. When I see black people doing those TikTok dances, I'm like, well, there goes that stereotype. Obviously, all of us do not have rhythm because you look spastic. Okay. My, I think here, are, here to my newsflash, newsflash. All black people don't have rhythm and I can't play basketball. So there you go. <laughs> I, think, I think these are seemingly effortless ways to garner a lot of attention. And that's what makes them enticing. Because you can get a dopamine rush from doing something meaningful too, but that's going to require yeah. real effort. You go to the gym and get a really good workout in. Let's say it's 45 minutes. You push yourself really hard. At the end of it, you have this strong feeling of satisfaction, but that required a lot of effort to get that. Or yeah, you can just it. dance like an idiot and put it on TikTok <laughs> and then you get 100,000 people going, oh, I love your clip made my day. Oh, you're having so much fun. Oh, you're so beautiful. Well, shit, they're and not even doing like, that. They're just hitting the like and then moving on. And you're like, oop, another like. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> just because, let's say you put up a clip and it has 5,000 views, that doesn't mean that 5,000 people actually watched it. It means that right. they saw it. <laughs> it could have moved on after two seconds, if even that. Yeah. I'm that guy. <laughs> Most likely, if I'm scrolling in, it's like, what is this? Like, what is this foolishness? Oh shit! Anyway, well, you, and just, you scroll in, but now you just got a view from me, even though I just sat there and like, okay, this yeah, is yeah, like, exactly. It, like, it you, you interrupted my scrolling. It's like I'm like, what the what is this? <laughs> I mean, you just think about what you do when you when you consume Instagram. It's scrolling and scrolling, and maybe something catches your attention. You watch it for a little bit, then you keep scrolling. So why would you expect anyone else to be doing anything different? Exactly. That's what that's made for. It's not made for increasing. Engaging. Yeah. Well, it's engaging. not made to engage. I mean, and then, I mean, the one platform that people mostly engage in is so it's, it's toxic as hell. It used to be Facebook, but then it became Twitter. <laughs> so they yeah. were being toxic in 140 characters. Then they expanded it. And now I think you can actually do damn near like some paragraphs now. Thanks to Elon. I was like, Oh, great. <laughs> it's just like, just give them a platform to just bitch even more. But so now almost everyone now posts they, these multi-part threads now on Twitter. So it's like, geez, man. But no one's communicating. No one's really being social. Well, I think I think people want to be acknowledged. And especially when they're, let's say they're on someone's podcast and it's someone that they admire. Now they want to please that person. So they want to tell them things that are going to get them to give them positive feedback, to give you positive feedback. And that's, that's also a slippery slope because that's where the embellishing goes. You tell one story and you're going, wow, this person really responded to that. Let me, the next story I'm going to tell, I'm really going to embellish it up a bit. I'm going to take it up a notch and I'll get even more attention. And then I'll, and then other people who watch this person's show, they're going to want to have me on their show. (laughs) It's very hard not to become corruptible by this, by attention. I mean, like I said, dopamine is a hell of a drug. Okay. You know, especially when you can get it with the least amount of effort. Come on, man. It's addictive as hell. But the thing that makes me suspicious of people that are too forthcoming with trauma is that, I mean, think about how many people has has Ty Ritter saved that have told their story. I don't know any. Really, not one. Not <laughs> I, like, one. I don't know any. <laughs> yeah. And the only one I heard of is from Ty, and she told him. She didn't go on some public platform and tell right. the whole story. Because these are not really things that you want to relive if you've actually experienced it. You don't really want to come out. 
and talk about it, even though it might be helpful for, I mean, it would be helpful if a lot of people that Ty has and the team have saved did come out and talk very candidly about all the horrific things they've been through so that people are more aware. But a lot of them don't do that, or basically none of them do that, because who wants to relive all of that if you actually experienced it? Exactly. <clears throat> That's what makes me suspicious when someone's too comfortable talking about trauma. And maybe I'm just being a little bit cynical here, but it's just I just understand the motives when it comes to getting attention and how addictive that can be. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. You know, I just I just had to get that. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know what? Let's just go ahead and talk about that and add that because uh, it's been one of those things. It's one of those things that won't go away. <laughs> kind of like toxic masculinity posts and all that other crap. Man, I'm so sick of these man these man pages, <laughs> which is an oxymoron in itself, right there. It's like, oh, let me go to one of these man sites and learn how to be a man. <laughs> it's like, hey, man. You're it's depressing when someone like Andrew Tate has such a huge following. Yeah. Because he's a very ostentatious character and he's saying things to be provocative. Well, I'm about to say the thing is, you said the, the, you said the right word. You said character. Yeah, he's a character, exactly. And that's why I don't I, that's I, I laugh when people get so offended by anything he says. Like it's like getting offended by a character on a TV show. Right. <laughs> that's what he's doing. He's playing a character. Before he became this famous person, he was out there delivering stuff, but he was doing it in a very rational manner. And no one gave him any attention. So he realized, okay, let me step up the provocativeness of this and just go over the top, create this over the top character. All of a sudden, everyone knows who he is. Well, I mean, all it took was like one or two like other shows to like catch wind of it. And again, give him that little dopamine rush and give him the attention to that. And he's like, wait a minute. So this is what I have to do <laughs> to, to, to reach more people? Okay. Effort. Let me roll with it. Yeah, but Bill Burr has a joke going when he sees all these feminists picketing, he just wants to drive by and yell out, get back in the kitchen where you belong. You know? <laughs> because he knows that they'll just be so irate. He goes, they look in the rearview mirror and they're ready to explode and all that. <laughs> so someone could become that character where they just make all of this this anti-women's rights type narrative. Oh, and even whether they believe it or not. That could be that could be a gateway for someone to become famous because yeah you're going to have a lot of vitriol but that vitriol is going to feed the algorithm and people yeah. are going to watch you because you're going to be offended they're going to be like oh he's on that show okay I'm going to watch this because this guy's a sexist a hole as opposed to someone that is just a balanced view of things and the thing is if you know that's what he is then okay you've already determined that what, why are you still watching what's going to change what are you what are you waiting for people like to get offended they they watch something they get offended they feel important now oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you avoid hanging around people, like I said, there's a lot of people I see at the dog park. I don't see them now because I walk my dogs at night for a variety of reasons. But one of the benefits is that I've noticed that I'm not exposed to as much complaining as I used to be exposed to. And I'm talking about complaining over really trivial stuff. Yeah. And that and you don't realize how much of a toll that takes on you, no matter how much you put up your deflectors, no matter how much you try to be impregnable to that kind of thing just being around that kind of energy will have an effect. So if, you, I mean, if you're someone who's very driven and let's say everyone, you know, isn't, I don't care how driven you are. It's going to, it's going to take a toll on you. It's going to, it's going to take a toll on your energy. It's going to pull you back. While the opposite is also true. If you're very driven and then let's say the five people you see every day are also very driven, that's going to have an additive effect, but that energy exchange is real, whether no matter how good you are at defending yourself from negative energy. Oh Yeah. <clears throat> 
And one thing about it, when it comes to like people who are like driven off negativity, you will always be outnumbered <laughs> in this world. Well, at least in the I say this in the Western world, people in other worlds, I mean, most places they really don't have time to complain because they're trying to live, they're trying to survive. But when your life is so comfortable, we're so privileged over here. It's not just white privilege, it's all privilege, it's Western privilege. We're so privileged. I don't care how people try to complain about how hard it is over here right now, what kind of economy we're going through. Look, man, compared to most of the world, and I do mean most of the world, what the fuck are we really complaining about? Most of the problems we have is really our fault. And a lot of it is based off overconsumption, fear of missing out, scarcity mindset. Okay. And, and all that stuff really puts us in a bad place to where you're feeling like, Oh, which, you know, it's economically it's really hard. Look, economically we're doing better than the other half of the world. I'm like, all you gotta do is go and look up the statistics just for like the minimum wage globally, the average minimum wage. It's like we're even the McDonald's worker in drive through is living like a King compared to someone in, in Brazil, in the ghettos of Brazil. Right. But the thing is, once I don't, well, I don't care about the ghettos. I'm talking about the ghettos here in America. Even here, our ghettos are like freaking. It's like the most well, well-to-do neighborhood compared to other places where at any any minute, you know, it's just like they. First of all, they don't have water. They don't have clean water whatsoever. Even if you have rusty water in your in your hood, you're kind of doing better off than a village that has no water at all. And they got to go all the way down to a dirty river and a dirty lake and have all kinds of dysentery or whatever. At least here's the, here's the advantage you have in it because people are probably hearing it like, well, what's the difference? Well, the thing is, you can actually raise a ruckus. You can protest. You can you can go to city hall. You can make the public aware of how shitty your politicians are or your you know your civic leaders are, and they're not doing anything about it. Whereas these people in these other places, who are they going to complain to? <laughs> the warlord, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying or. The, the government of the other country that's nowhere near them that doesn't look like them that's taken over their their land because they 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 outmilitarized them like so I mean even even the ability to complain about, about political leaders is a privilege and exactly you could do that you could be shunned and, and, and put in prison and taken out of society just for doing that or you can have your whole There's family wiped out just to teach you a lesson and learn how to shut the hell up you know and yeah you, 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 you don't know me you know me how the hell you say her name park's book this north korean defector she talked about the thing that she found <clears> most <throat> surprising not surprising but it was more shocking about america is number one how much people complain because she said in north korea people have nothing they have way more reason to complain than americans do but people rarely complain because they're too busy struggling they're too busy trying to find food that day they don't have time to really sit around and complain about how hard life is. And also that's all they know. So they don't have a reference point. But the other thing that, that stuck out is she talked about how she found it shocking that someone consumes so much energy. And in, in this energy, she means food that they actually pay to go somewhere to get on a treadmill to get rid of the excess. <laughs> energy. Because she said in North Korea, no one has the problem of consuming too much energy. They're, they're barely getting enough energy to survive each day. Right. And that's the problem of America. We have too much access to energy as opposed to not enough access to energy. And you could say that that's just one area of overconsumption. Overconsumption can be a myriad of things. It could be overconsumption of content, overconsumption of social media, overconsumption of complaining. I mean, it can just go on forever because you have more, way more time on your hands. Uh, I will say overconsumption of time and <laughs> free time. <laughs> it's like, 
you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, let me hurry up and finish this assignment up so I can have take the rest of the day off, <laughs> you know? Well, now what are you doing with all that time? Hey, man, at least I got everything done today. What are you doing all that time? Well, you're overconsuming some other stuff. You know, it's not really going to benefit you. So, and trust me, we, we've all been guilty of it, but some people like to say it, it becomes a drug. It, it becomes a drug big time. I think acquiring information is a drug, going back to our earlier point, because it makes it gives you the opportunity to come off knowledgeable. You just acquire a lot of information on a topic, so then you can drop that knowledge to people who don't really know anything about that topic. And sometimes I talk about hormone optimization, and people people go, man, you're really knowledgeable about this. And I go, yeah, I am, but how do you know I am or not? You don't know enough to know whether I know what I'm talking about. Well, they know, you're, using, you're using big words, man, and you're using them, like, you're using them in such a great way that it makes that, that's one thing I try not to do, because I always feel that someone who's a good communicator, you, you talk in very simple language that people can understand. If you actually My thing understand. is always to, you know, always explain something like someone's five. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it should be, you should be able to, you should be able to have a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, 15-year-old, and a 45-year-old all in the same room, and they should be able to understand what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, that's when you're a master communicator. And that, yeah. that's, that's a very difficult skill to acquire because you have to really work on that and one of the things you can do with that is like and that's where it helps to be a very good storyteller because that's how you engage people and get people to really open their minds and think and, and get the draw you start drawing these pictures with your words and with your you know so when you're describing it and you make it relatable so you you find something that that 5 10 15 35 and 45 year old that they can all relate to you know, and even if it's something that maybe one of them doesn't, it's like, you know, look, you know, tell the 10-year-old, now I know you haven't experienced this just yet, but you look at the 15-year-old, but I know you know what I'm talking about. Well, guess what now? The 10, the 10-year-old is still interested because they're like, well, shit, I can't wait to be 15 so I can know what that feels like. I want to hear about this so I can get a, get the leg up on other 10-year-olds out there not hearing about this. You know, so again, it's, it's really coming down to like reading the room and being a very good storyteller, the art of story, man. You, you can't beat it because everybody loves a good story you know it's just even even when you're selling things it's like doesn't the a lot of times people don't they don't care about the product they just the story that goes with it and if is this story that's something that can relate to their lives then there's some people that just overdo it and just lie and start making up shit <laughs> to try to make it make it a relatable story or whatever and they don't read the room has a funny bit in his latest comedy special where he talks about companies <laughs> They don't even talk about the product anymore. They talk about the causes that they're into. Yeah. Right. Are you talking Chris Rock? Oh, yeah. We just watched There are the organizations that we donate to. It has nothing to do with the product. You're just talking about because We're diverse. We want to come off as how what a, what, a, what a compassionate company this is. Let me buy this product and support their, <laughs> their compassionate efforts. Like, I didn't come in to buy the damn compassion. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they're... Either that, or like I said, they're like I said, they're trying to be so political with it's like, hey, and we have diversity. We have this person and this person. You know, we've got you know trans people. We have gay people. We have black people. We have we have fat people. Well, we don't call them fat. <laughs> 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 we have body positive people. Oh, so does that pertain to even people who are like physically fit? Do you count them as body positive? It's funny how that works. That they're not included in that for the most part. I mean, so, at the end of the day, if you're if you're trying to sell a product, if it doesn't deliver on what it doesn't matter, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what causes you support or what a great person you are. No one's going to keep buying it just for that reason, especially with nutrition supplements. <laughs> nutrition supplements are very cut and dry, meaning 
if it works, people are going to keep buying it. If it doesn't, they're eventually going to realize it doesn't work for them and they're going to stop. And it's as simple as that. They're not going to just keep buying it, hoping it, hoping that it works someday. They're going to, you, you have, you basically have a month to deliver some effect. If, if by the end of the first bottle, they don't feel something meaningful, they're not going to get a second bottle. And that's, and that's good because I mean, you don't build a, a, a substantial company by just delivering garbage that doesn't work. Now, some of these companies have an attitude of we're just going to put 90% of our money into marketing and advertising and ad copy. And we're going to get as many one-time hits as possible because we know we're not going to get two-time hits or three-time hits or anything beyond. So let's get a million people to buy this once. And then people realize this is garbage. But by the time they realize it's, it's garbage, we've made a ton of money and we just closed out the operation. And that's, that's the philosophy. That's the mindset of a lot of supplement companies, not just supplement companies, but companies in general. Or the, the second approach is you actually create something that's really good. You don't have to put a lot of money into marketing and advertising. Now, all you have to do is get a bunch of people to buy it and the repeat business and the referrals will build your company. And then over time, you actually outperform the first example I talked about. But that requires real effort. That, that requires wanting to be in for the long haul. And it also requires a level of integrity where you're actually trying to make something that's good. You're not trying to screw over customers to make money and end up on an episode of American Greed. <laughs> Right. <clears throat> Whenever I watch American Greed, I go, these are pretty smart people. They could have come up with a legitimate hustle, but it was just too enticing because they have the gift of gab. They realize how good they are at convincing people of things. And that becomes addictive. And, and the best kind of con artist is one who starts off legit. So let's say for the first five years, this person gives really legitimate information. They build this huge following. And then you flip the script. And you become a con artist and people go, no, no, it's got to be, he's got to be right. Or you know, she's got to be telling me the right information for the last five years. It's been really good. And then you get hoodwinked for a while. And then the whole, eventually all these house of cards crumble, <laughs> but you may last, the goal is to last long enough to make a ton of money and right off into the sunset before the whole thing unravels. But it seems that it's being corruptible becomes way more enticing at a certain point in people's careers. That's, that's what they got noticed is that they, they're not corruptible on the way up. And then they get to a point where they get lazy or they get tired. So they go, let me become corruptible now so that I can just amass as much wealth as possible. And then, yeah, my reputation will be destroyed by the time this all comes out. But by that point, I'll just move to Tahiti you know, with my <laughs> and drink cocktails on the beach. So it's all good. <clears throat> yeah but yeah man um i think we did we have another topic because <laughs> that was kind of impromptu we can get into this toxic masculinity a bit because i yeah. heard you bring that up a little bit earlier i think the thing i think the big problem with the phrase toxic masculinity is that it doesn't imply it says that there are things that are inherently wrong with men, meaning that this is in your DNA, these poor behaviors. So that's why it's toxic masculinity. Well, my attitude is those behaviors that we see being proliferated are not endemic of every single person. That's those are, my issue has always been, it's, very, it's a very blanketed statement, but it right. is very- All men have these problems. Yeah. So what are we so, going to do about it? So. There's, there's nuance in things. I, I feel like it has nothing to do with someone's gender 
why they behave poorly. It has something to do with them as an individual. Those are I'm like, being an asshole has nothing to do with gender. It's gender. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gender. So like, being an gender. asshole is gender fluid, okay? Yeah, there, are, <laughs> there are women that are very abusive as well and hostile, but no one says toxic femininity when they refer to Well, no, women. because you do that, then now you hate women. Right. <laughs> and there's a war on women. I'm sick of all the wars, too. There's a war on women. There's a war on men. There's a war on white men. There's a war on black people. There's a war, 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 war. I'm just like, okay. You know, you know, there's actually real wars going on, right? But so basically, well, the, the, the war, the war on women is now basically men are taking over women, meaning that <laughs> when a transgender woman is given an award for the woman of the year, you know, so it's like, if I were a woman, I'd now, here's just, the irony of that: it's like, like, hey. it's like, it's like a woman can't even win woman of the year award anymore. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so women should be concerned about that. Forget about all this toxic masculinity. And all the straight men are just sitting there, like, hey. This is your fight. Women who are competing in women's sports and beat and breaking records. Dude, I'm sitting there just watching like some of these MMA fights. I'm like, why is this being sanctioned? I'm like, this is this is assault. Okay, this is sanctioned assault, straight up. That Bill Burr made a funny point about how the the feminist movement has failed women because why why aren't all of these women at WNBA games? He goes, you couldn't name WNBA team in your town if your life depended on it. He goes, name the top three stars in the WNBA. No one can do anything. Everybody knows one right now because she got got caught in Russia. But those, yeah, yeah, those games, there should be 100,000 people on the stands supporting these events if they actually care about it. And then the women's soccer thing is another one's like, okay, we deserve to get paid more. No, you get you deserve to get paid more if you're bringing in more money. It's as simple as that. Ronda Rousey was the number one star in MMA. It wasn't be and it wasn't because she's a woman that she's getting paid more or less. It's because she brought in more eyeballs than anyone else at the time. So she got paid the most and she deserved to get paid the most based on that criterion. Yep. So the marketplace is fair in that regard. Well, here's the deal. It's like, okay, so those, with those women's soccer teams, just like, well, this conversation comes up every four years. And what time of the year does it come up? Right after the Olympics. Well, after the Olympics, how many people are going to these games? How many stadiums are being packed? I can tell you now, even just like with the women's soccer team here in Houston, it's like they don't have the crowd that the men's does. Okay. Right. Nowhere near it. You know, it's like there was a time like when J.J. Watt got it, it played for the Houston Texans, you know, for a while there. You know, it's just like, okay, the time he got engaged, he looked up like, oh, man, she's she's really beautiful. Who is this? And it's like, didn't even realize that she's like one of the stars of the women's, the local women's soccer team, professional soccer team, you know? So it's just so crazy. So I'm just like, come on, get out there and support each other and make a big fuss. Like, you you outnumber us in, in the world. Why are you not packing stadiums and all this and supporting each other? You don't even have to like it. There are things that you know men still support that we don't necessarily like. <laughs> Come on. But again, it just again it comes down to just attention and let me find someone to be offended by. Because I'm like, do you really believe in the cause you're offended over? And then no, why? You think of toxic masculinity, you go, okay, if if those qualities are inherently in men, all men using their words, what about all of the men that sacrifice themselves for the benefits of others in so many different capacities? Is that inherently in men too, or are those outliers? Hmm. It's easy to focus on the negativity of a few, a minority, and then say the majority has that problem. Right. And 
every man needs to be schooled on how to behave properly. No, not every man. I don't. I don't need to be schooled by other men on how to behave. I don't go around abusive to anybody. (laughs) I don't need any other man to tell me how to be a man. That's the first thing. Right. And if any man does need another man to tell you how to be a man, that's a problem too. um, Well, I hate to tell you, buddy. Your road to being a man is 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 closed, okay? And that road is blocked. It's under construction. You're not getting through. I mean, if you need another grown-ass man that you've never met in your life to tell you on the internet, here's what you need to do to become a man. The top 10 qualities to be this type of man. Like, hey, man, I, I get it. Some some people were raised without fathers, but I'm like, do you really want to use this internet figure, this character to be your father figure? You know, and I always say with toxic masculinity, it's not someone that has too much masculinity. It's someone who doesn't have enough, just as we always talk about hormones. It's not people with too much testosterone that act out. It's people with not enough and too much conversion to estrogen. So now they feel the need to overcompensate. So a lot of these guys that are really inappropriate to women, these are guys who never got attention from women at all when they were younger. And now they're in a position of power and they feel that they can act in a way and other people just have to put up with it. Now, but that says a lot about them more than anything else. Those are those are individual actions. Those are not qualities that are inherent in every man. And then each man realizes, okay, I have this desire to act inappropriately. So let me quell that. I think one of the best ways to be a man is to get off the internet and try, trying to figure out how to be a man. <laughs> That's always that's a good that's good advice in general. I I like to do these periodic fasts from not not even not even not not so much the internet, but stuff such as social media because the internet is where I go to research things. So of course I'm going to be on the internet every day, reading articles, consuming information for the purpose of expanding my knowledge on things, not just consuming for the sake of consuming. But I always find that it's a good idea to just take a week off from social media, for example. That always works in your because you'll find you'll you you will always find more productive things to do, and then you'll you will realize that it's not a good use of your time to begin with. So that when you do go back to it, you tend to be more judicious for a while. It's yeah. easy to get pulled back in though, because it's a very highly addictive mechanism. And I'm not saying that I'm not, I don't fall prey to that myself, because I definitely do. But that's when I find myself pulling away from and go just take a week off completely, just delete that from your phone, don't look at it for a week. Now, if you can't even go a week without looking at it, that tells you right there you have a problem. I'm not saying a year or even a month. I'm saying a week. So if you can't go a week without looking at it. That's a problem. You should probably you should probably take a break from just about everything for a week, whether it's working out, whether it's television, whatever it is, whatever it is that is a leisure activity. If you can't take a week off from that, that's a problem. I remember my mom always used to love watching the news. She would have the news on all day and all that. And I would say, Mom, you watch the news too much. You know, she'd take a week off. She's like, I can quit anytime I want. It's one of the famous words of an addict. <laughs> an addict's favorite is last words. <laughs> like, I don't need to stop watching. I can stop anytime I want. I remember her distinctly saying that. I, was like, I don't know, Mom. And the only time you stop is when you and Dad go on these camping trips where you're forced to stop. Because I mean, especially at that time, there was no internet connection that was mobile. Right. So you're forced to take a break from it. <laughs> It's just easy to fall prey to these patterns. You have to look at what are, what are your addictive patterns, whatever it is. Like I like to consume marijuana, but I take long breaks from it too. I've taken a month off recently from it for many reasons. One, just to know I can from two, just because it's a healthy thing to do. It's a healthy thing to take a break 
from whatever it is you enjoy. Otherwise, it just becomes meaningless because you do it so often, it doesn't really have a positive impact anymore. Right. It just becomes part of your routine. It becomes routine. I like I like coffee in the morning, but I like to take a break from coffee too from time to time, exactly. whether it's two weeks off on the weekend or whether it's a week off, sometimes longer, just to do it, just to clear it out. And then when you reintroduce it, it's more pleasurable. <clears throat> yeah, I always laugh. People are like, oh, I got to have my coffee first in the morning. Don't talk to me before I have my coffee. I'm like, damn. <laughs> it's like, geez, are you okay? Well, I mean, ideally, you have a meal before you have your first cup of coffee. Yeah, I'm like, ooh. And every stomach is what causes a lot of issues for people. For yeah. For it's just and then the quality of coffee that they have on their stomach is not any better. <laughs> yeah, Especially right. Starbucks and their pesticide coffee that they have. The so. funniest thing about coffee is when people put a stick of butter in their coffee and then they say they're fasting. <laughs> that's, you're, to my, to my, yeah, you, go ahead and take the S out of fasting. Okay. You're fatting. Okay? I, see, I, see, I, think, I, I think even if you Google is putting butter in coffee, am I still fasting? It'll be like, oh yeah, you're fasting because it doesn't have an effect on insulin. I go, no, it's a lot of calories. It's calories. Yeah, it, I'm like, that's... it doesn't have an effect on insulin because yeah, of course it doesn't have an effect on insulin. There's no protein or carbohydrates in it, but it does ramp up your triglycerides, your stored fat. So obviously it's having an effect. It's, it's it's nullifying the whole point of fasting. Let's just, let's not kid ourselves here. If you're going to put a stick of butter in your morning coffee, you might as well have a meal and a cup of coffee. I'm just surprised if that's still a thing. I don't think it really <laughs> is still a thing. I think it's... No, because... Uh, no, really you know, because Asprey's moved on to some other topic now. I've seen him pop up on something. And I was like, oh, here we go. And that's usually what happens. It's like, all right, this little commodity... You know, is is now this has gotten old, but hey, here's a new thing that I've discovered. Here's the news, the latest biohack that I've done and I figured out and that I'm into. And people are like, oh, cool, tell me more. And here, take my money. Well, I noticed that there's these exaggeration trends, is what I see a lot, where people just exaggerate the benefits of something where, where it has some benefits, but they exaggerate those benefits. And then it becomes trendy to jump on that bandwagon. And you want to be someone that's on the bandwagon of here's what's current right now. Saunas are a good example. Saunas definitely have some benefits, but I see the the benefits being exaggerated to ridiculous degrees. Now talking about oh, if you use a sauna regularly, it'll it it will prevent Alzheimer based on say nothing. What say what? No, yeah, there's no data <laughs> whatsoever, and there's there's no long term studies on saunas where you can isolate that the sauna is the reason why. Because what about all the other things these people are doing? How do you deduce it down to the sauna is the reason why these people got benefits? Now, my attitude, I remember I brought this up and Matt Brown sent me a private message and he goes, man, and he goes, I thought sauna was great for this and that and so forth. And I go, look, man, if you enjoy doing it, don't stop. That's a good enough reason to do it. If you find that you sleep better at night or you find it relaxing, if you find it relaxing, that's a good enough reason to do it. So I'm not telling people to stop, but I'm also saying don't add this to your routine if it's something that you find miserable. I don't really like sitting in a hot sauna for 30 minutes. I don't really find that pleasurable. So I, I don't, and I don't feel the benefits are high enough to warrant me adding that to my routine where I do it frequently. And I can say the same thing about cryo saunas, and I can say the same thing about float chambers. I've tried all these things for extended periods of time. I don't think any of them are worthless. I think all of them have some benefit. But I didn't feel the benefits merited making this part of my routine. And I certainly don't feel that it has the benefits that people that are really into this exaggerate. Red light therapy is another one. Oh, I used red light therapy and it doubled my testosterone. No, it didn't. <laughs> it did not. I don't buy that for a minute. Now, does red light therapy have some benefits? Sure. 
But it's I think what happens is that people feel the need to exaggerate these benefits to one sound as if they're really knowledgeable and to justify what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, to justify what they're doing and to get other people to fall in line. And it's easy when some <clears throat> expert says, I do cold plunges every day and here's the life extension benefits of it. And now everyone's on this cold plunge. Hey man, I'm gonna tell you right now, fuck that. <laughs> to my look, man, all this I okay, high school football, all that, you know, it was benefits getting in, you know, in a tub full of ice and that was, hey, had its benefits. But some of you folks don't even do anything physically that exerts your body and, and tears any muscle or do anything where you feel like you need to get it. You're just doing it because that's the trend. Like, oh, I'm gonna go ahead and you know, get in this 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 tub of ice or i'm gonna turn on the shower and take a 30 minute shower with the water on cold I'm like okay uh, raising well, balls i mean cold plunges have been shown to nullify strength the benefits of a strength training workout and one of the reasons is, is that look the most important thing to do after a hard workout is to lower your cortisol levels get into a relaxed state now let's say you work out hard with weights for 45 minutes and now you don't go do a cold plunge what happens your cortisol is stressful bro <laughs> cortisol are now through the roof probably way higher than they were during your workout and that's not what you want to do your body's thinking like oh it's like having a strong cup of coffee right after you work out you know there's a reason why no one has any desire to do that just just intuitively you know that's a bad idea if you wake up in the morning like coffee's great because you want to get your day going it can it can add a little bit of that adrenaline kick so that makes sense and you want to kind of warm up because your body temperature has been lowered while you're asleep and it's just a nice ritual to do in the morning. So we all enjoy it. I totally get that. I'm one of those people. But there's a reason why none of us have this desire for caffeine or a cup of coffee after we train. You don't have to tell anyone, don't drink coffee after you work out because nobody or, does. Or <laughs> does somebody in Texas while doing yard work and like mowing the lawn in July, whoo, when you finish, like, man, I need a hot cup of coffee right now. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even want a cold cup of coffee. Right. <laughs> you don't want coffee at all. Your mind doesn't know the difference. Like, wait a minute. I know this fool is not giving me coffee right now. <laughs> he doesn't know if it's hot or cold. He just knows it's coffee. Like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. I'm hot. I'm trying to cool off. <laughs> I'm surprised someone just to be a just to be someone that is that just takes opposing views and antagonistic views. I'm surprised someone hasn't come out and talked about the benefits of coffee after you work out. <laughs> just to be a contrarian someone's going to i guarantee oh, and if it's the right person then that's gonna be the next trend. Plots? yeah they're gonna they're gonna do that too. they're gonna be like huh what what spin can i put on coffee oh i know have a cup right after you work out it's like yeah it increases the fat burning benefits of your workout i can i can see it, all. it turns up the fat burning mechanism it accelerates it <laughs> and you're bound to lose one to two pounds extra when <laughs> when see no one ever asked the follow-up questions and and what is this based off of <laughs> well I, I think so. I, one of my friends put up this clip it was mike nelson dr mike nelson mm-hmm. he puts out really good information and he put up this clip about green tea and he goes look green tea is great it has a lot of health benefits but all, all of this fat loss benefits that are attributed to green tea over the course of a year it showed that she lost an extra pound <laughs> i was about to say look man i've been drinking I've been drinking green tea a lot for years. I should be a crackhead by now. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, if, if you enjoy drinking green tea, and there are a lot of benefits to drinking green tea, so it's something that you should add to it, if it's, especially if it's something you enjoy. But don't do it because you think there's going to be some profound fat loss benefit. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about with these exaggerations. Like the sauna is the big exaggeration. 
and it'll be may prevent Alzheimer. Based on what? And hey, if you man. Look at all of the hey, people hey I didn't say it would. I said it may. God damn it. Well, they always say <laughs> that's a way to protect yourself. And even, exactly. even most studies, even most studies, when it looks like it had a positive outcome, even they will frame it as may be useful for this. Even they don't want to make a definitive stance because they know that the studies are not conclusive. Or they that's backdoor it with, you know, r- r- results may vary. I bet they do. <laughs> <laughs> Again, but when you look at people that actually made, if you profile people that made it to 100 years old and you look at the habits they had, none of them were people that were devout sauna users or cold <laughs> no. They all had very boring habits. They didn't overeat. A lot of times they ate the same thing. They're very mono eaters too. You know, a lot of times they eat the same. Like every time you see one of these videos or like one of these centurions or whatever, they, okay, what's the secret to, you know, make it to a hundred years old? What do you do every day? You know, there was, um, there was one man who um, passed away just a couple of years ago that lived in Austin. His daily routine, you know, he was celebrated in the gun community and the cigar community because, you know, he always, he loved his guns. And he loved his cigars. He'd wake up every day and he'd have a cigar. He'd have coffee with whiskey in it. And he'd have the same breakfast every day. He pretty much stayed, he'd mind his own business. He'd sit on his porch. He stayed, so he's outside almost all the time. And he still drove himself around. He still was functioning, he'd get his own groceries. He wasn't sitting there having someone care for him. Um, his, um, they called him Mr. Overton. You can, you can Google him. And so I think, and he was like the I last. I think he was like the last living like World War II vet or right. one of the last few because um, uh, he ended up outliving my uncle, I think, by another maybe six years because my uncle was one of the last um, living vets as well. And he died in 92, just um, what, like six years ago, I believe. Yeah. So but like and, and my uncle was another one. His his life was very simple. I mean, you know, sometimes he would go fishing, you know, he still would do yard work. He was doing the most boring things to, to average people, you know, and, but, and again, one thing I've always noticed, and this is the reason why it's one of sincere golden rules that I noticed by almost all of these old people, these people that made it to a hundred plus when they asked them, like, what's the key to making it that far? They always say the same thing, even though the foods may be different or whatever else, but they always come down to one thing. They mind their business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, look, man, there's something to that. You know, there's something to that by minding your business. And and not just necessarily just ignore them. But what I'm saying is not getting stressed out of so many things that don't concern you, you or right. getting worked up on things that you can't control, that you can't do anything about. And that's what it really comes down to when I say mind your business. Like, what does this really have to do with you? And if it has something to do with you, what are you going to do about it? Can you do anything about it? And if you can't, why are you getting worked up? Because getting worked up is not going to change it. You're going to have to take action. If you can't take action to change it, calm down. And here's one action take. Whatever that is that's that's bothering you, don't do that thing. That helps, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, man, that's the common denominator I found with a lot of these people who've lived that long. They mind their business, and like you said, they just do the most boring things. You know what? Yeah, they, they go that's what other people consider boring. I don't consider it boring, you know. And but the thing is, it's very minimal. And again, it gets back to what we we're talking about at the very beginning when I was I had mentioned minimalism, man. Just not overconsumption, just really reducing things, just reducing the consumption of things. Like you said, whether it be social media, whether it's just food, drinks, complaining, just like I said, overconsumption is just, it does not work out well. Even working out, that right there, even that, you can do too much of that, people. 
Well, that's why it's good. It's good to keep track of stuff with the context of working out. Let's say you hit legs hard twice a week, and then you do an experiment where you just hit legs hard once a week. And then you find, hey, I'm getting better results or the same results with just once a week. So now you know for you that second workout is at best redundant, at worst counterproductive. Now, it may be different for someone else. Someone may find that it's additive. So you don't know until you experiment with these things. But that's why I like keeping track of stuff because it gets rid of all of your bias. You don't have any illusions now. You go, you know what? When I do it this way, I'm actually getting counterproductive results. When I do it this way, it's additive. So let me just do this. Most people are better off doing less than more. I'm talking about people that enjoy training. I'm not talking about people that hate training and barely ever get it in. I'm not saying they should do less. I'm not saying someone who walks once a week should do it less. They're, they're not doing it enough. <laughs> so walking, you're not going to overtrain walking unless you have some kind of injury that you're making worse. Right. But walking is is my favorite. You have to delineate between training and not exercise. Being active but, and being activity, active. Activity. Yeah. So for me, walking two hours a day, that's activity. I can do that every day. There's no reason not to do it every day. And I've got dogs. So I have to do it every day, whether I want to do it or not, because they want to do it. Right. They're going to be really annoying if they don't get it in. <laughs> if you get it in, they're going to be really good. They're going to be really well behaved and relaxed, especially in the evening. And they so sleep well. Days, but one day, forget it. It's not going to work. So activity is something you can do every day. You don't have to worry about overtraining there. And I think activity in the long run is more important than training for those reasons. So you look at these sanitarians, they all have activity. Yep. They didn't just sit around. They didn't, they didn't necessarily do vigorous workouts every day, but they all generally, generally a common theme is they all went for daily walks. Yeah. That's something you do pretty often. They're, they're moving That's their bodies. Often. They weren't sitting around getting old. Right. <laughs> you know, right. anytime my body feels stiff, it always feels better after a long walk. You get some circulation you can move around. Sometimes even my, my knee is painting and then it seems counterproductive to go for a walk. I'm like, Oh, let me just lie back. But I go for a walk. You get some circulation in there. You get some healing nutrients in that area. And just moving is a positive thing to do. It's a proactive thing to do. It's an empowering thing to do. And at the end of it, you actually feel better. Anytime I have anxiety, I always feel better. Yeah. So that's something that sometimes people that enjoy training, it's, it's ironically, their activity is really low. So outside of those three to four workouts or five workouts a week, their activity is nearly zilch. Yeah. Those workouts aren't going to make enough. You're not going to get all the benefits of activity with just training is my point. So training is great and you have to do training to keep your bones strong and other things, but it doesn't have the same benefits of activity and intense training. You can't use it like activity. You can't do it every day. But your, the mind your own business reminds me of Eddie Murphy when he gave the speech recently. And he goes, oh, yeah, Here are my three gold rules for success. He goes, mind your business, pay your taxes and keep Will Smith's wife's name. Out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, speaking of obliteration, I won't give it away to anyone who hasn't seen it, but Chris Rock's obliteration of Will Smith in his latest special. Oh, man, that was cathartic for him at the end, man. Oh, my, my wife, God, we were cracking so him. I was like, I was like, he's waited a year for that. Like that felt you can see on his face that felt good. <laughs> Everybody called him a bitch. <laughs> yeah. He worked it out for a year because I, I heard yeah. people that went to his show saying that he he told the story, but yeah. I think he wanted to refine it and, and get it perfect before he made a special. Oh, yeah. Boy, Man. did he do it. Did he do it? Man. <laughs> I mean, and he did it perfect because he didn't sit there and go on and on about it. It was like, no, bam, no. bam, boom. You're like, oh, damn. And by the time you realize what was happening, it was it was done. He's like, he's like, basically like, I'm okay. I'm now I'm done talking about this shit, right. <laughs> which is how it should be. And I think that's a good lesson right there too, is once, 
See, the thing about complaining is once you get it all out, that's it. It's over. Don't that's complain it. about it ever again. Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I think telling someone to never complain is totally unrealistic because right. that's just something we're going to do. And I don't. I don't think it's necessarily even a bad thing because it can lead to positivity. The problem, though, is is that when it becomes a story that's retold and retold, such as you talk to a friend you haven't talked in a long time, and you go, "Hey, how are things going?" And then the same complaints come up from five years ago. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, look, that's I don't. Good. I don't need to be engaged with the eighth season of your complaint. Okay. <laughs> Go sell that to HBO. They love doing stuff. They like drawing stuff out like that. Me, I'm good. <laughs> right. Like in, in each season of 24, it's a different villain. They're not fighting the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's man. It's a different headache for Jack Bauer to deal with each season. It's not the same headache. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. This is why DC will never catch up to Marvel. Why? Because you've had 1,500 Batmans versus 1,600 Jokers. It's the same old thing. Like, come on, man. You don't have any new villains? At least Marvel continuously brings new people to the Marvel Universe. In DC, they fight the same people over and over. Like, dude, okay, just, you know, at this point, give it up or just work together. Yeah, they keep doing reboots of the same character, too. It's like, do we really need another reboot now? We just saw a whole series on this character. Now we're going to start from the beginning again? <laughs> like, what do we do now? We don't know where to go forward. Oh, let's just start over from the beginning again. I mean, look how they Scrooge is like, okay, the Christian Bale Batman is like, it started with Batman Begins. All right. So that means when he, when he stops playing Batman, you can't begin again. It already began. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we already know the origination story. So we don't need to see events. <laughs> and they keep different. remixing that story. It's like, okay. So, and yet, after all these years, we still don't know who actually killed his parents. You know what, dude? You're on the wrong movie now. You need to be like, you need to go to a TV show. You need to get on to another, you know, a cold case file show. Okay, at this point. Because <laughs> no matter how smart you are, Bruce Wayne, you're not smart to find who killed your parents. Like, come on. <laughs> if you go to Marvel, you can actually have people that can take you into another timeline and show you who killed your parents. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, that's the thing about movies also now is that why is everything that was popular in the 1980s getting a reboot instead of a lot of fresh ideas? Some things I, don't I need to be rebooted, about, man. I mean, I keep stop. hearing about reboot. Like, oh, we're going to reboot this. We're going to reboot that. I go, that wasn't even that great to start with. <laughs> you know, reboot <laughs> something that wasn't even all that great. Let's, let's, well, like this new Exorcist movie is coming out. Why? <laughs> Why the Vatican's, what, what? The Vatican's, the, the Pope's Exorcist. Come on, man. Really? <laughs> Why are we doing this? I noticed that when something was done exceptionally well, no one tries to reboot it. They don't mess with it. No one's ever going to try to do a reboot of Heat because you're not going to make it better. <laughs> Only make it worse. You're not going to make it better. Or are they going to do The Godfather, Next Generation? <laughs> no, do not do that. Well, I mean, I, I understand. Well, they'll probably do that when, like, yeah, Scorsese, like, they'd have to, people like that would have to die and then they'll do it. It's kind of like, or they no longer have the rights to it. Kind of like what happened with Star Wars. It's like, once George Lucas sold, they're like, oh, we can just do what the hell we want with Star Wars now. Like, no, please don't. Oh, they did. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, George. Some, some of the series on Disney are really good, but the, the reboot. No, we're the, talking about the movies, man. We're talking yeah, about the Star Wars movies terrible. themselves. These last. Well, I was talking to a guy at the dog park. This young guy was really into Star Wars and all these sci-fi. And he was talking about how he doesn't even recognize those sequels, those most recent sequels. As, well, they as, came from, as, you're all coming from those, <laughs> those, those novels, that, those little extra novels that would come out after the movies. You know, right, and then right. they kept writing these books. And so it's like it, it becomes like the comics. Like there's a lot of things that happen, like the Marvel movies and all this other stuff that come from different 
like series of the comics that sometimes they're kind of out of order or you have to really dig like, oh, okay, that was from like a series that came out in 2001 that some people, unless you were a diehard fan of that character, you didn't, you don't remember that, <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh. And then if you are a diehard fan of that, you'll see the movie like, wait a minute, that's not what happened. They, so next thing you know, the director kind of just takes his own little liberty with it and changes things up. And it's like, no, nah, that's not how that happened. So at the end of the day, Hollywood fucks up everything. <laughs> just go ahead. Well, and the funny thing is there's no rules with any of this stuff either. I remember Prince Bell, he's a big Star Wars guy. We've had him on the show, a mutual friend of ours. And he talked about it. He's like, well, like it or not, folks, that it's part of the canon. So people have to recognize it. I go, no, you don't really have to. No. So when they do the shows where it takes... Like oh, there's there's a couple different there's one show on Disney Mandalorian which takes up right Man, after Mandalorian's dope though <laughs> yeah Mandalorian's really good and it takes it takes place a few maybe years a after Return of the Jedi after, yeah Return of the Jedi now they don't have to recognize the most recent canon for anything they can just go in their own direction if they want to and there's no reason for them not to do that honestly they could say right. you know what we're gonna do a reimagination so we're not gonna be bound to those crappy movies why why do you have to be bound to three movies that everybody didn't like. You can easily say we're going to do a real, we're going to do a do over here. <laughs> we're just going to go in whatever direction we feel like it. We're starting from scratch. They could do that, and I think a lot of people would be happy. I would be if they decide to do that. So it's it's funny how the the series that series has given us exactly what we wanted from those cr- crappy movies. Right. What we so, wanted to see in those crappy movies: Luke Skywalker as a badass. Let, let's see him as this master Jedi now. And we didn't get that. Not and playing then, by the rules or whatever, you know. Just yeah, but like, we got know. it in one episode of The Mandalorian. In that one episode where he's in it for the last five minutes of the episode, that was more satisfying <laughs> than doing these crappy movies. Right. <laughs> but that's the thing about it. I remember the Highlander series. There's Highlander 1, and then each sequel of Highlander, of Highlander 1 is a sequel to Highlander 1, but not a sequel to each other. So in other words, Highlander 2 is a sequel to Highlander 1, but it was terrible. So Highlander 3 is not a sequel to Highlander 2, but it's a sequel to Highlander 1. That one was terrible, too. And then Highlander 4... <laughs> it's like, we're going to get it right sooner or later. <laughs> Highlander 4 is a sequel to Highlander 1, but not 2 or 3. And that one was a lot better. It's like, okay, we're getting somewhere now. <laughs> they, didn't, they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't bound by the mistakes of these sequels. They realized, okay, these sequels were terrible, so let's just start over. They just it's, I've never seen any other show do it, but there's precedence now. So any, any other movie series could do that if they want to. They could just be like, nah, you know, we, we we fucked up on that. Let's be honest about it. Let's own it. So this next one, we're going to try to get it right. Oh, we fucked up again. Let's try it one more time. Okay, we got it now. <laughs> but, yeah, and it really comes down to just people being greedy. But sometimes these shows didn't make as much as you thought they were like, okay, like there's How I Met Your Mother. Then you come out with How I Met Your Father. <laughs> <laughs> well, that took a lot of creativity. <laughs> <laughs> to my full house. Fuller House. Wait, what? <laughs> Come on, man. Now, I will say this. Now, I will say this. Like, that Wonder Years reboot was pretty good. because it's oh, totally, I, didn't even know, I didn't even know there was It's a, a totally different perspective because it's dealing with a black family in the South. You know? Oh, okay. so, yeah. And it's actually um, the executive producer is um, Fred Savage. So, it's really cool with that. So, it's not even... And it's not even trying to, like, build off of, you know, um, like, Kevin Arnold's family. Or anything like that. There's like a slight reference, maybe, but it's not going back to that. It's just a totally right. different family, you know. Okay. So again, just and then from a totally different culture. <clears throat> but but almost because I was a little worried when he said, "Oh, they're 
you know, they're coming out with a new version of, of uh, the Wonder Years. I'm like, why? <laughs> then I was like, oh, okay. And then um, the, the guy from Psych, uh, the black guy, <clears throat> like he's pretty good in almost everything he's in. You know, he's probably one of the best supporting actors out there. It's like rarely this dude ever gets a lead, but he's always a good support guy. He's one of those type actors. So, so he's really good in it. And you have a lot of new new actors that you don't even know, which I I, I can appreciate that too. So it kind of gives some other people a chance. And instead of you know that this probably is going to be a weak show, let's try to get some big name in it just to draw bring eyes to it. That lets me know just how how much value you actually have in your show. So I'm just like, when you can sit there and come out with something new and then have somebody that no one even knows and it's still a great show, then you know, you're working on it. You got something going right there. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes with shows, they just get off course. Remember, you and I were talking about Snowfall season five and we're like, what was that, man? That was a total. That and a now, total- I mean, it's almost like that. Se- now it's like that season never happened. This this season is the last one. This is the finale. This season is so it's good. so intense, even, man. It's like you leave. Gonna wa- yeah, I wasn't even going to watch this season because of how bad last season was. But I'm yeah. like, all right, let me watch. I mean, come season. on, man. Dude, I mean, the, so the hide under the house, all that stupid stuff. It, it just. Yeah. I was like, what is happening right now? What is this? <laughs> the tunnels and all this. I'm like, dude, this is dumb. What is happening? You got tunnels in the middle of a, a Mexican desert. What is happening? <laughs> this is going off the rails. <laughs> this sixth season's been a total 180. Dude, this whole, I'm like, every episode, I'm like, every, it, it reminds me just like how, like some of those early seasons of 24, when, when it, like when it goes off, you're like, okay, I, I'm glad I have a week to process that. Man, it's like when it goes over, like you're kind of glad it's over. Like, okay, that was intense. That was yeah. a that was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. dude, the whole show's good. So I'm like, damn, dude. I was like, okay, that that was like it, it's good when they can get my heart racing. I'm like, dude, is this gonna go? Okay, whoo, all right, damn. <laughs> so yeah, so they're gonna go out strong, and if if you go out strong, then no one cares about the one or two seasons. Oh, exactly. <laughs> It's when exactly. you end really badly, then it goes, oh man, what a waste! I watched six seasons of the show. <laughs> this is how everybody felt. I don't, I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but everyone I've talked to is just like, man, yeah. that last season, and then that finale. I was like, okay, it kind of reminded me of the Sopranos. That fucking last episode, man. I was like, really? Well, I that, mean, Spartacus too. That was one yes. of the most disappointing. That was anti-climatic. Like, come on. Yeah, it was totally <laughs> anti-climatic. Given that the highs that that show took and you the, to, and then the, just the build-up to that, I'm like, and that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, they needed a two-hour finale. Why was it one hour? This I'm like, you're on, you're, you're on paid cable TV. You can take, you can do what the hell you want. I tell you what else is intense, and I'm glad they actually didn't do a an actual um, season of it, but they actually did a movie to kind of like end the chapter right there. The the new Luther movie. Oh, okay, I, I've seen that. I haven't watched. Yeah, it. Yeah. First of all, I will say this. Every season of Luther's was in, was intense. I can give this to the BBC. I can give this to the British television in their series. They're freaking intense. They they have some damn good writers. They have some really sick, twisted people that create television shows over there. Whether it's Black Mirror, whether it's Luther, whether it's Peaky Blinders, it's just like man, the, the people that write for these shows, man, they're a little twisted. And it's, it's almost like yeah, they probably won't work in prime time in America because we would get offended. <laughs> by some of the stuff you know that's that's the problem over here so but i'm telling you dude that is a very intense two hours almost it, from the beginning to the end just like and just in the when it's over you're like damn there's some really sick twisted people out there to the point where it's not so over the top 
that is not believable because you're thinking like, yes, it's kind of over the top, but at the same time, it's not out of the realm of possibility, especially some of the serial killers they've had like on his show, on that, on that series. But this last one, and Andy Circus is so damn good, man. He is so damn good. Like, I think this is probably his best performance. I've seen him in a lot of good things, man. But I think this is probably, and it's, it's very under the radar because it's a British, it's a British movie for the most part. Right. There's still, Luther's such an underground, like cult type show here in America. Because most of the time, you, I mean, you won't see it unless it comes on Netflix for the most part. And Netflix usually gets those shows. They don't run until like six or seven months after the show shows over in, in the UK. And and another thing about it, you have Idris Elba, whose schedule is so busy. The seasons are not consistent. Well, just by any series in the UK is not consistent. So basically they'll do a season and the second season may not come out for another two years. And the third season may not come out until like, three and a half years after the second season. <laughs> so, you know, that was like what happened with Peaky Blinders. It's like, okay, when is a new season coming out? Well, when everybody's done shooting movies and doing everything. So I, I you kind of give them props for the fact that they value their, their actors so much that they let them do their main projects or whatever and don't bombard them with these other, sh- with these shows. But when they come back, it's almost like they come back hungry to do it after doing all these blockbuster movies. So when they come back to the show, it's like, man, they put their effort into it compared to a lot of actors in America where it's like, all right, this is season 12 or blah, blah, blah. And you start seeing the actors are no longer giving a shit. And can someone tell me why Grey's Anatomy is still on with new seasons? I'm like, <laughs> season 20? Really? I've, I'm, I'm happy to say I've never seen an episode of that show. I'm like, like, come on. I saw, I was sitting there going through like Hulu and then I saw that like a suggestion. And it's just like, you know, a new episode. It's about season 19, episode three. I'm like, season 19? People are still watching this damn show? Almost like, what does Shonda Rhimes have on the executives of ABC and Disney? She must have some dirty sex tapes on them that they continue to let her keep putting this show out. I'm like, you can't tell me. Well, then again, look at Law and Order. That shit's been on forever, too. And that's, that's like a cult following. You, you tell someone, like, oh, you don't watch Law and Order? I'm like, no. Man. Again, it goes back to the drinking thing. You don't drink? No. Man, really? Well, that's the funny thing about people. Why, why does, if you enjoy doing something, why do you care if anyone else enjoys it? <laughs> I mean, I don't, enjoy enjoy playing, I don't enjoy playing tennis, but if someone else is like, man, I love playing tennis, I wouldn't say, well, come on, man, why are you doing tennis? You should be lifting kettlebells instead or going sprinting. I'm just honestly, when I find when I talk to people that are happy about doing something, I'm happy for them. I'm like, good man. A lot of people aren't happy about anything. They don't have anything they enjoy doing. So when you find something that you genuinely enjoy, like with working out, people go, man, you must be really disciplined. You must uh, be really good, have strong willpower. I go, no, I enjoy doing this. No, no one's gonna, no one's gonna do it as long as I have. If you hate it, I've been working out since I was a teenager. You think no one's going to win that battle of attrition. You're trying, me, you're trying to tell me I'm going to sustain a habit for 20 years where every single time I go, oh, I got to do this. I hate doing it. I go through periods where I feel like that. Everybody does. But in the long run, most of it, for the most part, I enjoy doing it. You're not going to do anything, whether it's good for you or not. If you don't enjoy it, you're not going to sustain that. <laughs> Meanwhile, there are a lot of unhappily married people listening like, uh, <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then, you know, that's a bad thing that we're able to sustain that. Uh, a bad marriage, is, a bad marriage especially, is not something you should be able to sustain. No. That's for sure. But a lot of people do it because it's easy to just just have cognitive dissonance and then just distance yourself. Some and people, tell yourself, and then you'll, or you'll lie and say, well, well, there's the alternative. What? Like, well, being alone. 
Oh, you mean being alone and happy? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the real we, problem there is you can't be alone. You should, if, if, if you can be happy in a relationship, you should be happy not in a relationship too. That's the, then, then most you, times if you're happy in a relationship is because you can also be happy being alone. Yeah. Yeah. Because that right. means that you two respect each other enough to let you be individuals as well as a couple. Right. Right. Otherwise, otherwise you're being, you're being stifled, man. It's just like, ugh, you're like, God, don't you have something to do? Don't you have a hobby? I mean, if you're, if you're looking for the other person to constantly entertain you, that's asking too much. <laughs> that's a lot. Just like, like, come on. And that's why when you, someone says like, oh my God, you're my everything. You complete me. Run. <laughs> Run. You're not there to complete and, and, and I, guess, I guess my whole argument has a lot of holes in it anyway, because a lot of people have jobs they hate for 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> but, but hey, they hey hold on enough. but you know what they say they don't they, don't, hey, they don't hate it enough that's the problem they don't hate it enough hey, they, they hate it but they don't deplore it well here's the thing mike you know at the end of the day hey at least i got a job there's some <laughs> there's some people out here don't they, they don't even have that <laughs> it's like that's the kind of thinking that gets you trapped in yeah situation. buddy because <laughs> there's an element of truth to that but that, 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 that's not an excuse to be miserable. When they go, well, you know, other people around the world would have, would love to be in this position. How well, do you know those people that don't have a job are not happy? Yeah, also, I mean, <laughs> well, they're not in this position you are. So it doesn't really matter how what other people would do in the position you're in. It's, it's, how, it's how you feel about the position that you're in that matters. Look, a lot of people would have been happy to have the last job I ever had. They would have been like, oh, this is great. I don't have to work that much. I got medical benefits, got a nice salary go to this comfortable office every day, but I was miserable there. So it doesn't matter if someone else would be happy doing this. What matters is, am I happy doing it or right. not? And if the answer is no, then it's time to move on because I'm not someone, you know, the good thing about having depression is, is that it, it's it's only going to get worse if you're stuck in situations that make you feel worse. So the only, make, the only way to make yourself feel better is to stay truthful to the path that you know you need to do. So you're forced to do it because otherwise you're going to be miserable. And I think for some people that are very mentally sound, meaning that their mood is good regardless of these things, that in some ways backfires for you because now you don't have a strong urge to train to take a different pathway. Well, if you're someone like me and you can become suicidal if you don't take the right pathway, I mean, that sounds very dramatic and it is, but it's also it's, it can also be very useful because it forces you to navigate on paths that are good for your mental health. Yeah, and also for those people who are pretty much mentally sound all the time or whatever, if one negative thing gets them off course, they just lose their shit, <laughs> you know, because they, they're not used to that. They're That's like, right. Well, they don't know how to handle that. It's like a lot of times, like a lot of these kids who've been coddled, they have one challenge. They just start having a fit and they just lose their shit. And they just like, they can't cope because everything, they've been so insulated. They've been so protected. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fall down and bust your ass sometimes so you can learn how to walk. And realize, or learn how to not walk that direction and trip over shit. You know? That's the thing about Yonmi Park's book, where she talked to that. That was the other thing she observed is how easy a lot of people have it in America to the point where they can't handle any adversity. No pressure any, at all, any, man. Any little adversity that comes your way, you're crying and you need therapy and you need your feelings to be acknowledged. I mean, and, come on, Mike. I, I I can't even handle you saying that you don't like gender reveal parties. I like them. What is wrong <laughs> with you? Oh my God, you're the worst person on earth. I'm unfollowing you. Block. <laughs> I, I had one person get out there and she goes, oh, tell us how you really feel. I bet a lot of people don't find what you post interesting. I was like, well, yeah, here they, you are. <laughs> and I, and I, yeah, and I go, I go, yeah, the difference is, is I don't, I give zero fucks about what you think or anyone else. I go, and also the thing is, if you're wasting your time on someone's page and you don't care about what they're posting, that's on you. 
<laughs> I'm not asking people who don't like what I have to say to come on my page. I'm putting out information that I feel if you don't find the information I put out useful, keep it moving. I'm not going to be offended by that. I don't care. There's, there's, I don't, I don't see like when someone posts a new song on YouTube and I don't like it, I don't dislike the clip or feel the exactly. need to post my dislike in the comment section. I just keep it moving. If other people like it, great. I'm like, good. I'm happy for this person. I hope he or she makes a good living as an artist because that's really yeah. difficult. And I don't, I don't feel the need to try to detract from someone. But it just, it's funny how these kind of things just show you someone's real character. The right. fact that you felt the need to waste your time posting no, your it's like It's like someone that goes on your gym page and they've never been in, never stepped foot in. They don't even live in your state. <laughs> they've never even been in your state. And they feel the need to give you a, a, a three-star review or a two-star review <laughs> and then comment on it. <laughs> just like, um, you don't have shit else to do, do you? <laughs> God, your life is boring. Yeah, it's just there's, there's nothing useful about being a professional troll. Well, I mean that's what it's fun, and that's what it's funny. I was just in it, just thinking about critics because it's like, and the critics say, "I'm like, you know what? You know how sad is it that there are people that they want to be a professional hater?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, come on. Yeah, movie critics, for example, these are always people that never had the skills to write a script or make a movie or be involved. Exactly. In- any creative not an actor or whatever at least with rex reed i'm like the dude was at least an actor at least he was in the field you know he actually was a part of the process <laughs> with all these other critics i'm like okay what did what did you do what have you done well, now oh, man, I think you were a shitty man. journalist who who couldn't make it in writing for a newspaper for regular stories and you're like well i can trash a movie and write about it. Oh, okay, we'll put you on page twenty-three. You give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> no one's probably going to read it anyway, so whatever. You, since you know you're my cousin's nephew and whatever, and you know, had to give you a job, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I, I always look at audience reviews when I think about a movie rather than critic reviews because like, right. let's see what people who actually paid to go see this movie. Let's see what they thought of it. Not I don't someone, care about Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, first yeah, of all, you lost me when you said you're Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, like, why would I listen to you? It's not like that's what you are. Rotten Tomatoes gave it 99%. I'm like, okay, that's kind of odd, you know, because I thought the point of having Rotten Tomatoes is to throw it at stuff that sucked, <laughs> not, not to give it a good review. <laughs> yeah, you're, it's like when someone calls themselves a biohacker hack, you're telling me you're a yeah, hack. Okay, that's all I hear. Which, which is useful. Thank you for telling me you're a hack. I'm wasting my time. But why should I pay attention to you when you're telling me that you're a hack? <laughs> One thing I like about Jocko Willink's book, I was just skimming through it the other day. Not, it's not a new book. It's been out for a while. But one thing, one thing I liked right from the get-go is that there's no shortcuts. There's no hacks to being successful. I go, okay, I like this right away. Right away, you're telling me what you're, you're, you're setting it up perfectly well. You're telling people straight up. If you're looking for shortcuts, you're looking for hacks, you're going to be in for a long run. That's ain't it. <laughs> Because everything that's meaningful is going to take a lot of time. It's always going to take more time than you would like it to. That's just the reality. Whatever it is, whether it's hitting a PR in the gym, whether it's a financial goal, whether it's a a physique composition goal, whatever it is, it's going to take longer than you would like. It's going to take time and attention. Very rarely rarely do you achieve it way before the deadline you set for it. You're like, man, you know, I gave myself a year to do this and I did it in three months. That is a very rare scenario and it's probably not going to be replicatable. Like I said, it requires two things, time and attention. Two things that most people don't want to just, they don't want to give to anything meaningful. 
as, as much as I hate the phrase, it's not about the destination, it's the journey. <laughs> There's some truth to that, meaning that the process has to be something you enjoy because otherwise you're not going to last long enough to get to the fruition, to get to the destination. A lot of times when someone says it's not about the destination, it's the journey, it's 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 someone who never made it to the destination. <laughs> now they're trying to rationalize the whole all the time they put into it. You know what? I spent 10 years trying to do it to no avail. Hey, but Mike, now looking back, it was all about the journey. The Mike, li- Mike, life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my friend Chris Becker and I, we're always making fun of that. Hey, man, it's all part of the journey. You know, we use that back and forth with each other all the time. It's another part of the journey. You know, he'll post one of his workouts. So I go, good job, man. You're on the journey. You know, you're doing well with the journey. <laughs> I think and the only sad thing about that is like you keep doing it, you'll become what's known as a journeyman. And if you look at the <laughs> definition of that, that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just setting goals and never achieving them, that's not good. All right. I'm the you're master of the to-do list. I'm like, and you're not going to achieve every goal you set. That's just unrealistic. But you should achieve some of them. Ah <laughs> oh, man. You go get a I'm a goal setter, man. I'm I'm the best <laughs> at that. I can set some goals, bro. <laughs> goal setting is like acquiring information but never utilizing it. Exactly. It's like that. But some people they're they have all of this information. They're so knowledgeable in terms of being able to repeat things that they've read or heard. But when it comes to the application, which is the most difficult part of anything, they have nothing to show for it. And that to me is just a lot of information that has been accumulated without maximum benefit. Yeah. Something you see very often on college campuses, for example. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, Something you see very often with college professors, to be even more specific. <laughs> yeah, go, into the, go back. When you get your MBA, ask that business professor, how many successful businesses have you created and, and, yeah, right. and, and sold? Then why the hell are you trying to tell me how to do that? That's, that's like me. I'm going in. I'm going to start like an open heart surgery class in med school <laughs> because I just I like, I like the whole topic of open heart surgery. <laughs> and I'm tenured, so you can't fire me. I've been I've been bullshitting for so many years now that now I'm I'm, I'm an institution in this institution. <laughs> it's like come on. The whole thing about business class reminds me of that movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, oh, yeah. <laughs> where he's this really successful businessman. He's a high school dropout, but he went on to be, to build a very successful business. And he decides to go back to college with his son as moral support. Now, take that. I, I realize that's a very silly line. So let's, let's put that one aside. Like, how gonna... fragile was his son? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the 1980s, man. Like, I, know, like, like, I can't go to college by myself. I'm surprised. This, this is a movie waiting for a reboot. But anyway, there's a scene where he's taking a class where it's a business class. And the college professor is one that's just like what you mentioned. He's never built a business and he's talking about how to build a business. Meanwhile, this guy's sitting in the audience going, no, no, that's not right. Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. And all of the students start turning around and taking notes. As yep. he's talking. <laughs> and God forbid, take the attention off the professor because, you know, in their minds, they, they think they're these celebrities on campus. And don't let you don't let it be a professor that's actually written a book that they're pimping on you that you have to purchase and to actually like take the class. <laughs> you have to go and oh, buy oh, my book. One thing about what, one of the big reasons why I majored in religious studies is because I had a college professor. I was in Lewis and Clark college for one year in my sophomore year. Then I ended up going back to where I started college at Worcester. That's a long story that I won't digress into. So back on, <laughs> back on why I majored in religious studies. <laughs> Now, this college professor, his name is Dr. Art Bueller. This guy was not, he wasn't just a really good professor, but I could tell that the subject matter that he was discussing 
was one that had a strong impact on him, especially when it came to Sufism. He never talked about what his religious beliefs are, spiritual beliefs. He wanted to be unbiased in that. But I could tell that this had a real impact on the way he sees the world, the way he carries himself, the way he lives his life, to the point where he was an engineering major, and then he made a total 180 and got into religious studies. And his, his he had a very strong predilection for Sufism that really pulled him in that direction. Now, Sufism wasn't even something I was, I didn't even know what Sufism was when I took the course. I just couldn't find anything else to fill in that slot. So I go, okay, let me just take this Sufism course. Dr. Bueller's teaching it, so it should be good. I took that course and I was like, wow, this is really fascinating stuff. And that had an indelible effect to this day. But it was his enthusiasm for the subject matter that got me into it. Now, when I went back to College of Worcester to finish off my degree, I, of course, took more religious studies classes. But one thing I noticed is that none of these college professors that were teaching these courses, you could tell it didn't have any impact on how they lived their life. You would have this one guy teaching a course about Gandhi and why he did this and why he did that. And then you would see that guy at the cafeteria having a big steak, <laughs> you know, like right after he talked about why Gandhi didn't eat meat and respect for animals and all that. So this was more, it was more just, it wasn't any, it was something where they, found the subject matter fascinating, but not enough to apply to their own life. It didn't transfer over. And I always felt that that was not so much a disservice as it just wasn't as impactful when I saw that. I wanted to see something that actually, why do I want to take all this time to study a subject matter and it has no real impact on who I am and how I see things? That's where I'm going with that. So that was one of the reasons why I really got into religious studies is because of that professor. If I never if I never went to Lewis and Clark and had the opportunity to take a bunch of classes with him, I probably wouldn't have majored in religious studies because I took one religious studies course at the College of Worcester before I went over there and I barely passed it. It was important that the, the professor had, you could tell he had basically zero interest in it. And as a result, I basically had zero interest in it. And I got a C in that class just to, just a satisfactory to put it on the chalkboard. And then all of a sudden I go to take a bunch of courses from this guy. I'm getting A's in all those classes, not because I care about getting A's just as a defunct of being, finding the subject matter enjoyable where I would, I would actually go beyond the course curriculum. I would go, okay, let me read a few more books about this Sufism thing to get a deeper understanding of it. And it wasn't to get extra credit or to get a badge of honor on my on my report card was because i found the subject matter interesting so i think that's what is missing in a lot of college classes is that the professors are too detached from what they're teaching yeah well like i said and they're they're safe they're protected to do so because you know a lot of them are tenured so they don't have to care anymore (laughs) they have to do some really unethical things to actually lose their job you know, I think that's what happens with anything when it comes to seniority or, ten, you know, tenureship and anything. He's like, you're setting these people up to lower the bar and not give, give the best of themselves because right. you're, you're insulating them. Like a lot of people with government jobs, yeah. you know, hell, even just our politicians like, yeah, we need term limits. Because if you know you can sit there for the next 20, 30, 40 years, why would you try to go above and beyond, you know, right. during that time, you know, if, just do the minimal amount of work and just hope that anybody that runs against you is just slightly worse off than you are. You're okay. <laughs> you jobs, where, jobs where you end with pensions. It's funny how people are very, they lean very far right. And they, they're always talking about socialism, this socialism, that. And then yet these people get pensions when they retire where you're getting paid for doing nothing now right. on the taxpayers dime. <clears throat> now the taxpayers are paying your pension. You're not earning that anymore. You're not even working anymore, but that's okay. Yeah, somebody made a good point, like just about all that. Like, okay, you're to my 
when you're with your family, you're, you're a communist. When you're with your friends, you're a socialist. But, <laughs> you know, when you're out there dealing with the rest of the world, you're a capitalist. Okay. Right, right. You know, so I'm like, look at it from that. Everything is layers to all this shit. There's levels to this. I mean, if, if I decide to close down my business, I'm not going to get paid from anyone. That's it. It's right. over. It's over. No one's just going to be like, well, Mike, I, I appreciate all the years of great information you put out. So I'm just going to keep, I'm, I'm just going to keep sending you money. What if I ask a thousand customers, Hey, if you appreciate all the information I put out, I'm retired now. I'm not going to put out any new information, but I would appreciate it if each one of you sent me a hundred bucks a month, just for all the information that I did put out. They'd be like, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to get anyone to do that. Right. I don't have a, my attitude is I don't mind not making money if I'm not delivering value. I'm perfectly happy to keep delivering value as long as I feel like it and getting paid in, in exchange for that. Because each dollar you can say, very few people can quantify every dollar they make saying, okay, here's what I make per year. And I can quantify every single dollar that comes in. I'm not just getting paid this arbitrary salary. Like someone working for someone else. Okay, what's your salary? $150,000. Now, are you providing $150,000 worth of value for the company? Or are, you, or are you undervaluing yourself? Are you worth more? Yeah, yeah, you could be worth way more than that too. That's the other thing. That's another mistake a lot of people make. They just accept, well, here's what we're offering. Oh, okay. No. You could be bringing $2 million worth of business for that company and you're getting paid $100,000. Like, like, what are you getting out of that, you know? Or you could be someone who's not bringing in ten dollars. <laughs> right, dollars. you're making two hundred fifty thousand a year. That's the one. That's the, that's the category that a lot of people like. They like they like the idea. Of, <laughs> right. I don't actually have to produce any value, and I'm just going to get paid for being here. That's, the, that's the more appealing before than being an overproducer. Yeah, prior to 2020, it's like, oh, I just got to show up and get paid. Hell yeah. <laughs> now they're like, oh, I can stay home and get paid. Hell yeah. Now you're trying to get them to come back and show up again. They're like, nah, I'm working from home. What do you mean? It's like, oh, I can sit and get paid just to sit here in my underwear in front of my computer, be on my webcam, be on Zoom. It was funny. It was funny how you watched how people how how people reacted in those situations. I remember two trainers I knew at the gym I used to go to. One guy when the gym reopened, one guy was back there the first day. He wanted to resume his business, start building his business more, work with his clients. The other guy goes, "No, nah, I'm not going to come back because I'm still getting my stimulus checks." It wasn't until they threatened to fire him that he finally came back. And you can realize who is actually committed here and who isn't to this craft, who actually wants to be a trainer and who doesn't. Right. One person's doing it just to pay the bills. The other person actually wants to do it and they want to build it. They actually enjoy doing it. So the second that they have a chance to do it again, they took it. There's so many examples like that. It was, it was really interesting to watch that. Yeah. And continue to watch. It's, it's a very interesting ongoing social experiment happening here. That's why when you hear these arguments such as guaranteed incomes or everyone gets this. Or your universal basic income. Universal basic income. That's it. Okay. Well, is that going to increase the value of currency or devalue currency? Well, I mean, first of all, the currency is already devalued. So it doesn't even matter because let's just be honest. It's already a universal basic income. It's like it's already it's already just free money. That, is, yeah. that that has no value whatsoever. This whole economy. I mean, these banks just got bailed out again, but they're not right. saying it's a bailout, it's a bail-in. I'm like, okay, semantics. It, it, well, even during, the, even during <laughs> the pandemic, where did all this money come from? You just printed it out from a computer. You just yeah. put it in a bunch of numbers. And they're computer. doing it again. Yeah, they, it just, they just did it again. Just save some banks. Chris, then, then when, all you look, these- when you look at all the money that's being sent to Ukraine, I go, well, why isn't this, Why is where is this money coming from, number one? And number two, if we had all that money, why aren't we using it to improve quality of life for people in this country, people right. in the inner city that could 
benefit from community centers and yeah, job, yeah, job yeah, those people those people don't have any they don't have they don't have they don't know any dirt on us <laughs> they're not <laughs> they're not scratching our backs they're not giving us strategic positions against people that we deem the enemy when it comes to fighting for resources these right. people don't have any resources that we need because they are the resources they're the, they're the capital that we have there's human capital because we got them working like slaves and we're we not paying them anything same reason so, why we didn't intervene in rwanda, rwanda and, <laughs> you know genocide. you wait till libya at the last minute because you know how dare gaddafi start talking about you know, going back on the gold standard and getting rid of you know like not using fiat money right, right. he's like oh that's a problem okay well we gotta liberate him <laughs> he's a dictator <laughs> It's like, wait, what? I thought that was your boy. I thought y'all were friends. Nope, he's a dictator. <laughs> so, so you start fucking with our money. You're a dictator. These people need some freedom. They need some democracy. <laughs> oh man. So I think they. I think the sum. The summary of this episode. The conclusion is. Check out season six of Snowfall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're gonna you're gonna see There's one thing you remember from this episode. <laughs> Give Snowfall. If you're gonna if you're starting Snowfall from scratch, you can just skip right over season five. Put it like this. Four and then skip right to season six. This season <laughs> we'll some time there. These episodes pretty much of, of Snowfall for this season pretty much hit on <laughs> everything that we talked about today. You'll learn about toxic masculinity. You'll learn about <laughs> You'll learn about, about you governmental know, corruption. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, people getting canceled <laughs> just in a different way. <laughs> they really getting canceled. Hell, literally. <laughs> that's what that's the old school way. The old school way of shutting out people had was way more direct than it is now. <laughs> hey man, look, if someone says something that you don't like, don't unfollow. Just burn their face on the oven. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Oh man. So yeah, I'm sure, like I said, if you watch, you'll be able to correlate everything we talked about in this, this episode with every episode of Snowfall this season. You're welcome. <laughs> so you know, on that note, if, until next time, go watch Snowfall. You might learn <laughs> something. <laughs> At least you'll learn about Jerry Curls. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody. That wraps up this week's Live Life Aggressively show. Be sure to head over to MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Use the coupon code LLA12 and receive 12% off of your total purchase at either of those websites. Also, for more personal protection tips, make sure you head over to NewWarriorDefense.com. Support the production of the Live Life Aggressively show by heading over to Patreon.com and becoming a patron. Simply go to Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. All Patreon subscribers receive Patreon-only access to our brand new show, Afterlife, which is a brand new behind-the-scenes episode that is not available to the public. Our Patreon subscribers also get to enjoy bigger discounts on all of our products by receiving Patreon-only discount codes beginning at 15% off on all products on MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Lastly, be sure to share the episode by following us on social media on Facebook as well as our new account on Instagram. Until the next episode, take care, everybody.